0: It is a great pleasure to have Rodney Crowell here, Uh, one of the great songwriters really of my lifetime and uh, someone whose work has meant a great deal to me. Also, someone who was part of a world of songwriters, musicians, singers uh, that I've spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about in my life because Rodney, I, I might've said this to you when we first met, but you know, old number one is a, a cornerstone record for me, for where I was in my life when I first heard it, which was long after Guy made it and you guys were all around it. And it was like, I was probably 21 when I heard that record for the first time, but it, it shifted so much. And it began this incredible fascination with people who wrote those kinds of songs and uh you being a kid around that clearly absorbed all of it through your prism and uh and just so people know you know you have a new album out rodney has a new album out that i've only just begun to spend time with but it's great and required listening called triage but rodney you know that uh, i wrote you in 2017 right after the election close ties is really something that got me through. And, and I, I wrote you a long note and thanked you then. And I got to say, there was a period of a month and a half where I think it was like the only thing that I listened to. And it was the only thing that got me through that period of time. And uh, I guess I want to start by asking you, are you used to it now, the effect that your music has on people? And how do you think about the relationship between who you are when you're the guy writing these songs and then who who we are when we receive them
1: well well brian first of all you know listening to you frame your relationship to to my uh i don't want to say output but but what i put out there you know what i what i spend a great till a deal of time you know really conscientiously contemplating what i'm working on and Funnily enough, just last night, I got a letter not long ago from an 18-year-old kid, and it was so articulate, and he was addressing uh, exactly what you're talking about, with his relationship to my music and, and memoir that I've written. And, and he came down to Nashville. I, I wrote him back, and he came down to Nashville. This is a long, long backstory, and forgive me if oh, Please go, this is what this is for. Yeah. Um, and he came down. I was working in the studio yesterday, so I invited him to the studio, and he was so aware of my work. This yes. 18-year-old kid. And of course I was flattered. I'm flattered by by your forthcoming with what it means to you. But frankly, I'm I'm almost stymied by an 18-year-old kid. Yes. So engaged in it. So much so that his mother and his girlfriend and we're in tow with him, so I I invited him home for dinner, and to stay the night. You know they're from Iowa, and it was a lovely evening because this young man walked me through
0: my, my work. Oh, that's amazing! Right on the so you got to be on the on the receiving end in a weird exactly, way
1: exactly exactly your question you know exactly just just this past evening i was receiving it and so i said hang on and i went and got a guitar and i said this is going to come in handy and so in conversation he just opened up about songs and and things and took me back you know to i was 23 years old and 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 forward, back and forward, ping-ponging me through what I'd done. And I started in conversation. I said, wow, you know, this is so fulfilling for me at this particular moment. I said, because you're giving back to me what back here in my studio in the back of this house, you know, where I, I work alone a lot of the time, you know. And with and my intention, you know, I, I try to stay humble about, what I'm working on and never, you know, assigning myself any more self importance than, than the work is for that day. Here's this kid giving it back to me and I'm going, geez, this, this stuff works. It does, it goes out there and it does its job. And I've all, you know, I've often heard that thing in songwriting circles where, you know, that precious thing of like, Hey, my songs are my children, you know, to which I scoff and I say yeah, well if you know they're not children, they're songs and hey, if any of my s- songs are supposedly children, they need to get out and get a job. Yeah, you know, which
0: well some of them have, some of them, have, them have gone out got, and gotten oh, a job. That's what I'm getting at, you know, some, some of
1: them these songs have gotten out there and gotten a job. When you when
0: you write these songs, just as a writer, sometimes Someone will say something nice to me about the work and it, it, it's always, um, incredibly gratifying, but it's also, I didn't, when I'm doing it, I'm really doing it for me in this weird way. I, I understand. Yeah. Uh, well, so yet, yeah, how does that, does, does, uh, do you get more used to that disconnect as you go? In other words, because I imagine you're writing song for life, and you're writing that song to, i mean i it's funny i was reading over the words of that song today and uh just thinking about how every year i understand that song better and uh and i was thinking i mean that must have just been for your the most intimate thing that you were figuring out about yourself I one i imagine
1: yeah yeah that song song for the life yeah well that's one of my earliest uh, guy clark would call a keeper and um uh, it's really um technically it's it really falls short of 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 being written well (laughs) that's funny but the thing about that song is is it succeeds beyond perfection and now there's a painting and hanging in the bathroom there's my favorite van gogh it's it's cafe terrace night you know the painting yeah i know yes i just yes I do. when i look at that painting i go this painting is unfinished and and you look closely at it there are some stick figures and what have you, you know and it's just unfinished but its intentionality and its wholeness is what i perceive you know and and what i fell in love with the first time i saw it and and song for the life exists in that way I think in the world and, and I wrote it in when I was a 22 that
0: makes no sense to me at all man
1: that just I, makes no sense I get it but the the interesting thing about it I was writing I unconsciously writing to myself to my future self and
0: and uh, oh it's amazing that you wrote that song before you got your shit together before you re- you know and I know what you mean about it being I I imagine as a writer, what you mean about it being unsuccessful is, uh, there's a lot of words in it and there's a lot of imagery and the imagery on top of imagery, but the, it, what it reveals, the heart that it reveals. And it's the thing about Van Gogh, the heart that it reveals exactly. is the heart that's trying to communicate the most profound thing it understands at that moment. Yeah, right. that's why the craft let you down in a way in your head because you wanted it to be this shining perfect jewel of expression.
1: It. Yeah, yeah, it, it it succeeds in spite of itself. And the thing about the song is that Alan Jackson recorded yes. it and made it a hit twenty eight years after I wrote it, which I always thought, oh, this is perfect. You know, this song was written at least twenty eight years into the future for me to walk into. And, and own, and there's a- Alan Jackson taking it out and making a go of it in the world with it. So that song is, is a sw- it, I recently re- recorded it again for a, a tribute to Tony Rice, guitar player. And in the middle of it, I got, I broke down because I, w- I was thinking about Guy Clark and Susanna, and I was thinking about Towns. And I was thinking about Steve Earle when, when we were so young, younger than those guys, and I was thinking about Emmy Lou and I was thinking about Vince, this crew of people, and I just, I just wept in the middle of it. And, and I had to stop recording because I couldn't carry on. And the thing of it, again, you know, about, you know, I never wanted to, to attach more significance to myself in these situations but it was the significance of the song and what it stood for you know what 45 years later comes up and bites me in the heart you know and and there i am sobbing <laughs> did you ever uh,
0: did you ever go up and perform it with alan at any sort of a no, concert no. or anything
1: no i never have i, I don't know alan jackson beyond uh, one or two hellos so no, that wouldn't be in the cards.
0: What did it feel like when that when that happened, though? When 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 does it, did it still when you got that call or however you found out was he carrying that song around for a long time? I mean, did it I, I would imagine? Well, I don't want to imagine. I mean, what it just strikes me as such an odd thing. Yes, because you wrote it so long ago. And then because he only rarely ever records an outside song because he's so incredibly good at writing Alan Jackson songs. Yeah. And what? How did it hit you? I mean, you've had so many hits and so many covers, obviously, but I wondered if it still is fun for you or if it's just like, well, that's good because it'll be money or like how that
1: how it is. No, it's fun for me. And and it was exactly, you know, besides, you know, Alan Jackson, I have have admiration for him and and uh, I bow to, you know, his success story. But it was really he delivered for me. The narrative of the song, which is he made it palpable to a, a large audience those many years after I rather timidly wrote it, you know, and it was the, it's the beauty of it and of of how that all happens, and and it and it's happened in in many ways, you know, specifically with this young man last night, this conversation. It's, you know, it, it's, it's the wonder and the beauty of, of, you know, you just said something about, you know, when people say to you, you know, you know they compliment you on the work. And, and you probably found out the way I've, I've found out that when I get it right for me, it, it's usually right for somebody else. And I've, and I've had to teach myself how to make sure I'm getting it right for me. Well, I want to
0: stay with that. Yeah. I said a thing the other day that people really seemed to react to, which was just like, uh, if somehow it comes from the most alive part of you and it makes you feel alive, uh, there's a chance it's gonna make someone else feel alive and Mm -hmm. it's gonna spark in them. And, and you, of course you never really. You know, you've know, you been at this longer than I have, but still you, 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 uh, I know when, yes, I know when I, th- I think something is right or good, but the reaction, and yes, you get better over time at knowing when someone else is going to react to it. But I do find that their reaction is pretty separate from the feelings that I felt when I was doing it. Like I, I was doing it for, like, as I say, I was trying to, I don't know, make something in my own head, click a certain way or in my own heart, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. but when you played it, for this so you were playing all the songs last night for the kid and his family or a bunch of songs
1: I was playing songs that I hadn't sung in 35 years and you know just because the kid was and his family were sitting we are sitting around the, the table over here and and uh and he said why well, he said yeah, man he says I came on to you and ain't no money a song called ain't no money and I said wait hang on God that's when I went and got the guitar and started drumming it and he and I sang it and oh, then when I would, when I couldn't haul up the lyrics, he was there with him. Oh yeah, that's an amazing he, feeling. He knew my song better than I did, you know, and he reintroduced me to to songs that I had totally walked away from and forgotten.
0: You're a big part of this documentary that's coming out called "Without Getting Killed or Caught." Right. And, and, uh, I got to see an early screening of it and, um, it's just Heartworn Highways is one of my favorite things, you know, and, and without getting killed or caught, which, uh, but what I'm really interested in start starting here is so Heart Heart-Worn Highways is, is the first time I, 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 when it was shot, it's funny. Cause you became famous kind of before it was put out or right before it came out, but like when you guys made it, you were not a famous person, right? You were, it was yeah. 1975, you had like one cover or something, right? Uh,
1: sure it was 1975, I think it was 73 or two. So great, even better, yeah, 73,
0: perfect. Uh, so, and you know, you're confidently singing that song or it feels like you're confidently singing that song with that group of people. And uh, I mean, you look so alive, Rodney, and just so with everything in front of you. And it's amazingly moving. I don't know the last of me. it's very moving to see that, for you and steve the glimpse i get of steve too is very moving to me uh but who were you right before we get that glimpse of, of you like you know close ties gives us a sense of when you moved to nashville to, to, the, to the extent that it's all true in your memoir but but who were you in the world in when you were 18 19 20. what were your ambitions about what you were going to do
1: with the guitar and what brought you and the guitar together. Mm, what brought me and the guitar together? Mm. Well, what first thing that happened? Well, we go back. To, you know, my father was a better singer than I, and my father was a, a sharecropped farm kid. You know, with a seventh grade education. But he had this uncanny knack for hearing a song once or twice and having it for all time. That's my dad, and and it was all uh Grand Ole Opry, you know, hit songs of the day that they, on Fridays and Saturday nights, they would, probably just Saturday nights, he would walk five or six miles to a a neighboring sharecrop farm who had a dry cell radio. And they would listen to the Grand Ole Opry and my father would learn those Roy Acuff songs. And then, you know, World War, you know the, the World War Two hit country songs and into the 50s. So when I was a young man, when I was a kid, four or five years old, that was, my father spent a lot of time sitting on the edge of the bed with his eyes closed singing, no one will ever know the truth but me, and I'm playing on the floor. Oh, wow. So here, you know, so I'm absorbing this, you know, as I play and as I'm coming of age, and my mother, on the other hand, was, you know, a Pentecostal devotee of of charismatic, Sheister preachers, yes, and she she spoke in tongues, and she was was renowned for you know getting down on the floor and speaking in unknown tongues, and she and these these evangelicals they sort of formed a team, and she would spew off this, I and mean, I would be there watching it, and these preachers would like divine what these words from on high, right? So my father had this knack for songs, and my mother had this gift for gab, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and there was the two. And so when my father came home when I was 11, and he had a little country band, and had a, a blind drummer who, they were getting a little too successful for his maneuverability, and uh, which the success probably just it amounted to two or three more gigs a month
0: sure
1: and uh you know at, at 11 a piece maybe so my dad came home with a set of pawn shop drums really simple kit and got a kitchen chair and some phone books and showed me the very basics the router, i was man. on a tuesday and on friday night i was playing in a honky tone with my oh, dad wait you first learned how to keep like how to keep
0: well, probably three, four, and four, four time. Well, everything everything was a shuffle.
1: Everything, everything was a shuffle. Great. Yeah. That one. Yes. That shuffle. And they would do even the waltzes. We would do it shuffle time because it was the only thing I could play. That's fantastic. Oh no, it was fantastic. And and you know that I was absurd. I, I learned about working musician there sorta. And you know, and there was all kind of things that went on in, in those those dives. Of course and but but what town what town was this houston houston it was houston
0: yeah houston where was bob where was bob wills was he he would come through
1: yeah well bob wills was oklahoma texas i uh, mean you know what I'm, i i would guess bob wills was born in eastern oklahoma but i don't know that for a fact because
0: uh amanda amanda shires Isball was telling me about when she was fifth the same you know 15 she was playing with him in texas like and what that was to be 15 years old and playing in, in that kind of band.
1: I did not know that. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about that is, uh, Bob Wills and the the Texas Troubadours used to play on, uh, this kind of in a a rice paddy near where I, I graduated from high school with no covering in the blazing hot sun. They made a dance floor up above the rice paddies. Did I say Texas Troubadours? You did. Bob Wills. And the Playboy was Texas Texas Playboys, right? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it was, Ernest Tubb was the Troubadours. Yeah, Texas Playboys. And they would play for dances out there, which I never, it was before my time, but I knew that the stage or the, it wasn't, there was no stage. It was just a dancing platform above a rice paddy.
0: Yeah, that stuff's amazing to me.
1: It's cool. But the musicians that were playing with him could have, you know, played with Duke Ellington or any of those really primo swing, 30s swing outfits, you know. So the musicianship was
0: killer. I just loved, I'm so, I, just, I just want to say, I always take the opportunity, when because people are listening to this who definitely don't know, I'm so happy you just mentioned Duke Ellington. I have been listening to him a lot over the last few months because people, and, and I was, cause I was listening to, um, oh, you'd like this actually. I was listening to Amit. There's a great biography of Amit Erdogan, like mm-hmm. this really long, uh, but it, it mentions him kind of seeing Duke Ellington once. And I was like, there's nobody better. There was nobody better. Like the first composer, like the whole thing. Mm-hmm. If you're home listening to this, and even if you think you only like Americana or country, Just give yourself the gift of like a week of listening to Duke Ellington. It'll take a minute to catch on to what they're doing. And at first it'll sound very presentational, but just give it a second and you'll hear
1: the life in there. I just want to tell people
0: because it's like, it's so great.
1: Yes, I, I, you know, Duke Ellington's my favorite. I didn't Uh, know that, but. That particular time and place, you know, swing thirties, dance, you know, thirties, forties, fifties, you know, there was so much good stuff happening, but, you know, there's some elegance and uh, swing, and, and the arranging that goes on with Duke Ellington just kills me. I know. And it's it's so, and it's one of those things, and I, this, again, I'm still fresh from this young man I spent an evening with last night it, and his family there. It's, it's the, when you really love music and when you're really drawn into it, that first presentational part you just mentioned. Okay, good. That'll, that'll sustain you through your path. But when you start going down into the anchor in, in, intricacies and the nuance, it's like, that's the thing about Duke Ellington. There's so much nuance in what's going on. It's just gorgeous. No, it's true, man. I mean,
0: that's, I'll say like, uh, something that I find in your work and and perhaps song of the life is an exception because you're, you know, I, you know, I understand why you think it is. I don't think it's over. I understand what you, what your issue with it is, but I go and listen to an album, a masterpiece, like Houston kid, which before I knew you ever met you or talked to you, you know, that album was like, uh, I knew a masterpiece to me and of storytelling and, and, uh, and I didn't know your history either. You know, I was just listening to a record, but that record, I got everything I needed out of it from, 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 from listening to it. But, but the craft is so high in what you do, the, 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 the rigor and the discipline. And I can, it sounds like you rewrite, I don't know if you rewrite a lot, but it sounds like you're constantly trying to sharpen and tighten and, uh, and sometimes that stuff can turn lifeless in the wrong hands where you feel like something is so carefully wrought. Um uh, mm. but your stuff it always feels like it's in service of communicating the heart of the story. And I wonder in something like Houston Kid like when you know, okay, I wonder if you do know. I'd say look over the course of my career I have known one thing I have known oh this has the chance to be something good. Fuck, I have to actually give everything to it and in fact I'm going to give everything to it. And in the end, no one may give a shit. But like, this is one of those that's just going to make me give everything. Right. Right. And you know, it sucks. Like part of it, it's what you're honored to do. It obviously it's the highest calling. Yeah. But because of that, the price is so big that you pay. And when you set out to make Houston Kid or Close Ties or this new album, and you become aware, like I'm sure on Close Ties, you were aware that you were trying to tell us everything about a world that meant everything to you and that you saw disappearing. And on Houston kid, you were talking about why you became who you were in the fucked up ways and all that mm-hmm. when you're, when you're setting out to do something like that, what do you go through? Does it happen after you've written two songs and then you go, Oh, this is what
1: this is. Or do you
0: have that ahead of time?
1: Well, let's see. Um, uh, it's very flattering for you to highlight Houston Kid and Close Ties because they're favorites of mine. Yeah, they would have to be. Yeah, they are. You know, it's like that where I go, hmm, OK. All right. And I feel that way about triage. That's great, yes. And I hope it stands the test of time. Usually it does. I mean, I could, you know, I've been asked to put them in order a few times and, and and up until triage before triage I, I would say hmm Houston kid close ties oh maybe close ties and Houston you know but that aside answer your question it's it's I do approach it very as I mentioned earlier conscientiously and you know it, the uh, Truman Capote you know says great books aren't written they're rewritten yeah and uh um uh, and having written, uh, you know, having worked for 10 years on a, on a memoir, which I had to learn how to do, that was a, that was a lesson in revision, 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 revision. And it is, it's become a part of, of my process. So with, with say with triage, my friend, Joe Henry, producer, and, and songwriter extraordinaire He's just
0: phenomenally talented
1: phenomenal, yeah phenomenal man uh all of the you know the artists part of aside and he, he was dealing with a cancer you know and uh, and our confident you know our conversations confidential conversations where he opened up to me about f- the fear of it the uh the you know, the end of the road possibilities of the whole thing. And the way he owned it and we talked about it and what he shared about himself with me, made me want to write a song for him. And, and I was thinking, I'm going to write a song for Joe. And, and I said, well, you know, that it's with Joe, it's going to have to, you know, to reach for something high enough to honor him. I've got to try to, I got to take a swing at universal love. Yes, that's the only concept high enough right now for me to to honor his sharing what he did with me. So I think I know what love is—forgiveness for a start. That's where it starts. So as I, and I wrote pages and pages. I filled up a small notebook full of verses. A notebook, was, of verses. Yeah. A notebook of verses. Yeah, notebook before of verses. Before you book. had the mute Before you had the music. Before, I, because I was down in. Claudia and I, my wife, we were down in one of the islands in the in the Caribbean. So we were down there somewhere. I don't remember which island now, but I had a fresh notebook that I took, and it was New Year started on New Year's Eve, you know. So, you know, after ten days, I had that dude full of verses, and I came home and started messing with a melodic vision, and. Finding what was really worthwhile and all of that, and eventually cobbled together, or or eventually, you know, I have often um, I have a new thing I say now, which is these my songs are Rodney whisperers. Ah, uh, yeah. R- rather yeah. than the other way around, they they come whispering around to me like, you know, and if I'm patient enough, they'll tell me what they want to be.
0: It's a I mean, it's like the raw, right? It's my it's um. Was it Michelangelo and the rock, right? Where he had to the the, the sculpture was already in the rock, and he yeah, had to the just, David, the David, yeah, yeah, the sculpture was in there, and he had to just uh, uh, somehow chip it out. So
1: yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I've seen the David, and and that's more awe inspiring than any song I've written.
0: I I only got the I only got the link to the whole album uh, two days ago. That's why I'm not as I and I don't toss. So I I understand what the album's about. I I listen to the lyrics pretty closely, but I haven't been able to go on long drives with the record yet. So that's why I can't speak as fluently about it as I would like to where I really it's a part of me. But I will say that the specter of death, the questions of uh, what matters and And it's interesting, right? Houston kid is you narrowly escape in a way is you not dying. Close ties is all your friends dying. And, uh, and this album is about it to me, as I heard it, as I say, I've only really heard it fully through twice, but to me, I heard a lot of you trying to, the artist, the singer, the writer, trying to come to terms with his place in a finite existence. Exactly. And. And as we all get older, uh, we all begin to, uh, you know, my wife's been writing about that her whole life since she's 20, but uh, some of us write it, think about it more as we get older. And, and uh, so I hear all that. And it's interesting to me that to me, the, your love songs are great. I love your love songs. And obviously you've had great success, people singing them and all that stuff. But when you're wrestling with this the great beyond, when you're trying to square your idea of faith with your skepticism for religion and where that leaves your soul and and that is incredibly animating stuff for a listener and it's the hardest shit to deal with i think as a writer right
1: yeah um well you know i did i interrupt so did you i was gonna say so did it did that
0: organize as you started thinking about that for
1: for, for joe henry uh, it seems
0: to me that that stuff in, then became, as it does, internalized, and you started thinking about
1: it. Exactly. You. You're, uh, listen, I just wrote down what you said, what matters in the face of death, okay? So, uh, you know, I wish I, I'd have said that a few times when people asked me about the album. I, we'll I take of, it now. Take it now. What, you know, I'll attribute it to you. I'll say, well, what, it's about what matters in the face of death. But I've, I've thought about this, and... And I'm sure you'll get this. I know you'll get this. It's when I was a younger man and I wrote these broad stroke love songs, you know, making memories of us and please these really broad stroke coming from a younger man who In in evolution that whatever was inside me I needed to get out there in a big way so that somebody something all of them everybody out there would reflect back to me some part of myself that i could love about myself and but as time goes and as time becomes more finite I, i've come to understand that that our psyche our natural the natural flow of of our evolution as human beings in a finite amount of time as we start to fold back in to ourselves in in such a way that we are preparing ourselves for the exit from this spear that we, in this time, place, this uh, physical existence we're having. And Leonard Cohen, uh, one thing about triage, Leonard Cohen in, I was a Leonard Cohen fan through his younger years, but in his latter years- That last I, album is a Come um, on, that
0: last album's a fucking masterpiece, man. That song, it's a masterpiece.
1: Well, you know, everything from waiting for the miracle to come, you know, to come healing and, and all of his work, it was, it was the thing that, that he gave, the gift he gave to me, and what I, I was discovering in myself was that, ah, he's out there, you know what, those 15 or 16 or 18 years ahead of me, and he's reporting back on, on what that internal dialogue becomes about making peace with, your, with the, f- the finite amount of time that you have. So quite naturally, s- spurred on by Joe's uh, glimpse of uh, possible mortality, which he's, he's completely clean and, right and, and in great health it set me off on a, a soul search with these songs to really uh, start to come to terms with where I am and uh, what matters in the face of death.
0: Well, yes, because it, it, it's so clarifying and it's, it's funny. Um, I think many of us who are interested in any kind of the ours uh we we at some point in our 20s probably go buy a copy of uh like uh the tibetan book of living and dying or the tibetan book of the dead but they kind of you read a couple pages they kind of sit on your bookshelf and then you get in your 50s and you start pulling those books out again
1: You couldler ross
0: back out you know right that's yeah you start you suddenly start uh figuring you know thinking about all this stuff and and you you know, you're so rigorous in what you do. And and I wonder, you know, you've had these losses that you've written about. And when I one of the great things about Close Ties. So on this album, I understand. And I think it's the last song or the second to last song where you're thinking about. Trent going on to the next place and and feeling no fear or whatever the thing is. But on the other hand, when I listen to Close Ties, I do not hear somebody very at peace with Susanna's death or Guy's death or Towns' death or sort of like, I don't get the sense that there's a, an artist who, whatever his faith is, has convinced himself that they're all in a better place.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, even with, with what I'm, I'm driving at with triage, I'm still not convinced, you know, it's, I mean, anyone. I don't have a religion, you know, it's, I have a spiritual life and I have a really rigorous spiritual life, but I don't have a religion because there's something about religion that demands that, you know, and and it demands as you, that you, uh, try to convert other people to what, you know, when it's impossible to know.
0: Because they say the word faith and they mean the word fealty right they're asking for fealty not faith yeah, that's true that's that's
1: yeah
0: this that's,
1: that's what i can't buy and there's a song on, on triage called hymn number 43 that right. i i put together that that john leventhal and i he sent me a melody and i wrote words to it and, and basically i'm i'm addressing my my trouble committing myself to any kind of religion particularly christianity or, or it could be any of them but at the same time i don't know so i can't rule it out either i can't rule out that that you know the the evangelicals or the you know the taliban don't know something i don't know i suspect they don't but i can't say that they do
0: So the brilliant John Leventhal, who I love by the way, sends you a melody.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he sends me a melody and, it, and, we, and I actually called John up and I said, hey, John, I'm working. Pandemic had set in and I'd slowed down on work on the album and I had a little time to ponder. So I called John and I said, hey, you got any melodies you want some words written to? And he said, you know, I've been, I've been, I've been interested in, in writing hymns and I said, Send me a hint, you know, and I'll write some words to it. And that, that he sent it to me and, and I wrote, you know, this narrative that I conjured basically is, you know, my coming to grips with the fact that I, I can't embrace religion for, for obvious reasons for my part, but I, but I embrace this spirituality. And I also have to embrace that those who, whose lives are informed by their religion, and they're as you said fealty as opposed to faith um i can't rule them out because i cannot definitively say that i know anything it's guesswork and sometimes my guesswork feels right to me and that's the only thing i can stand behind sure as you get older and when you've had
0: some when you've had thoughts ambitions desires certainty and and you've been and those things which seemed crazy to others come true it can help you refine where the north star is for you right because you know that your this whatever that thing is doesn't if you are actually listening to it it doesn't lead you astray. The hard part is knowing when you're listening to it, right? As opposed to- That is the hard part.
1: And you know, and a lot of time for me, that's guesswork. Yeah, yeah for, for, for yeah. sure. I'm guessing here, folks, but I really think that this body isn't all there is to who I am. I think there's a lot more of, of me out there somewhere that I that I'll probably get to when I shed this body.
0: I wish the only thing I mean, looking at the caterpillar and the butterfly remains, even though it's such a tired fucking metaphor. The truth is, does the caterpillar have any idea? And I don't think it does. So that's I mean, when you ever really look at the chrysalis thing, it's the only thing uh, that and the way uh, dates taste are the only things that make me think maybe there's the possibility that there's something. Because like, how can there be something that perfect and and then, you know, but. I wish I had the faith that, that you do. I just maybe I'll get it when I'm 70. I just don't have it now.
1: Yeah, well, uh, well no. let's talk a minute, if, if you will, yes, and do this, but you know, another, a triage, there's a, there's a particular thing I'm addressing and that I did a lot of editing on during the pandemic. I had the album pretty much finished when COVID hit us. And something that was heavily on my mind is climate change.
0: Um, and, yeah. Please talk and, about this. Yeah.
1: And it is, you know, it is it, to me, it is, this is something I know from observing. I've lived in Tennessee uh, with the exception of seven years that I lived in Los Angeles since I left Texas at age 21. I've lived in, in Tennessee through all of the remaining years, right? So over over that time period, I would say from 1972 until mm, 2000, let's say the year 2000, the last 28 years of the 20th century. I know of two tornadoes that came through this part of the world. There may have been one or two more, but you know, I, I keep close eye on it. Since 2002 or three, we get three or four tornado warnings every spring, and, and East Nashville has been destroyed twice by you know, category four tornadoes. Um, California's burning. I lived in California seven years. It burned a little bit. It didn't burn like it is now. For sure. And the Gulf Coast of Louisiana and Texas, you know what there's seven inches yesterday falling in in uh, corpus christi and listen climate change is real and i know this you you know this is not guesswork for me no man. this is fact, like, it's it's fact. All the science it's clear yeah so that was one of the things i considered deeply as i was writing the songs like there's a song called one little bird on the on the album where all of the birds had disappeared. The bees were gone from my hilltop that I live on. There, there are a few. Bon- I, I planted some Russian, Russian sh- sage and there's some bees that are coming back. But the birds were gone, you know? And, and I searched high and low for them around here and I couldn't find them. And uh, there are a few back now, but they've moved on somewhere else. And, and it used to be a, an aviary in, in Tennessee. So climate change is real, but I had to I had to think it through that you know i can i cannot get on a soapbox and preach you know the old thing of show don't tell you have to write about
0: it without uh, just opinion like without just uh, editorializing
1: right somehow. not editorializing you know it cannot be an op ed right it has to be an experience, and so i i had Two songs that were uh, that I was judging other people. I was coming down judgmentally on other people who denied climate change and blah blah blah. I elbowed them out, got them out of there, took them out of the running order. I said, I cannot do this. If if I'm going to have any credibility, I cannot tell anybody anything. I can only show what I can show. If I happen to strike the right balance. And uh, so it's a very important thread running through the album to me that one such as yourself, you know, when you, I would love to have a conversation when you've had a little more time with it, if you pick up on that I've planted the seeds in the narrative in a way that it might be a slow dawning when it really, it actually needs to be a fat, quick dawning. No, but
0: uh, you want it to become internalized for people. So it, it will be, um, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't get more time at the record. I, uh, you know, they don't send them with a download link and I don't really sit at my laptop and I listen, I either listen when I'm, uh, bike riding or driving. So that's why I had to sit at the computer and listen, because I didn't have a downloadable, Thing. I should have written you to send me a downloadable one. I just didn't. Like, I should have just texted you. But anyway, uh, I will and we will um get to do that. But I mean, the the thing is, the way I think somebody can approach this album and find triage and why they should is anytime, and I've been thinking a lot about this with with guy in towns too, you know. I mean, you're writing and singing about about various deaths, about, you know, the death of potential you know, death of friends and yourself and of the of the world. And the truth is, nobody knows when any of us are going to be gone. And and for me, when I was younger, I was less interested in all, always the latest work uh, when someone got older. But I'll tell you, I now I want to hear the albums, you know, when Lyle finally puts out his next album, I'll be listening to it the day it comes out. When Steve puts out records and not just because we're friendly, I'm I'm going to listen. So anyone who loves your work has to pick this up. And I, I want to know, though, as we're as we're here, I do want to talk a little bit about. Whether you think all of you would have. Wh- what I, I, I think about, it's funny, I had this guy from the business world Mark injuries and who and basically invented the Internet browser and um, he's this incredible thinker in, in lots of ways. and. He talks about these scenes that develop around creative people and, and how the benefits of becoming part of that. And I, I, I just wonder, like, what did the experience of being a part of this group of people, and I know you've been in various groups of people, but it seemed from the outside that Susanna and Guy and the, the world, around them that you were part of yeah was maybe not as much as your dad and being in that band but it feels like it taught you something about this life of the artist and the craft and and i I, can you talk a little bit about that
1: sure i can yes and you're 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 uh it's true and and i don't know if it was richard dobson or skinny dennis or all of us we were made reference to hillsborough village in 1972 and 1973 in nashville was our little paris in the 20s yeah you know and guy and susanna you know there was and there was a salon they were gertrude stein and hemingway basically they they were they were a guy susanna was gertrude stein and, and guy was hemingway that's exactly you know, guy with and guy. You know, it's like late way with his one simple declarative sentence. You know, guy with his no nonsense. Well, first of all, guy could drink everybody. Right, under he the was the hardest partier, right? Which is, yeah. he, but but guy drank everybody under the table, and it never altered his physical movement. So it never betrayed his his decorum. It was it was uh, he had the only i i brought him home some uh absinthe from from uh when i was in uh uh i forget where i got it now but i brought it home from europe and like the
0: real absinthe, the real stuff real real wormwood in it and everything the real absinthe yeah
1: and uh it's the only thing i ever saw him put put him to bed (laughs) you know (laughs) so he was there from you know until it was over and and towns and all of, and, and Mickey Newberry was, was a huge influence on me because Billy Joe and Towns and Guy, they had these kind of baritoneish voices. And so that this poetic narrative that they, they could come up with was, and I'm a natural tenor. My, my voice has been dropping and I'm really happy about that. But when, I, when Newberry came around and Newberry had this operatic tenor, but his songs, you know, Cortelia Clark, and She Even Woke Me Up to Say Goodbye and San Francisco Mabel Joy were those, were narrative, poet, poetic narratives that, that would st- stood along any, anything that Towns or Guy wrote. And, and with Newberry around, I said, oh, okay. I can do this. I can do it. I can do it. I don't have to have, you know, Billy Joe Shaver's gruff voice to, to get, a, get this across. You also don't have to shoot
0: anybody like Billy Joe Shaver. That's the other thing, right? You don't have to kill anybody yeah, in
1: order to yeah, write. But it, it it it's part of of the legacy of Billy Joe Shaver. Oh, too. No, I'm such a i am such a
0: you don't you can't find someone more fascinated by the yeah. life of Billy Joe Shaver than me. I find I find that Waylon Jennings story like the single best story I know. And I want it all to be true. I, I asked Jesse Cole, I got to speak to Jesse recently and I asked her about it. Everyone's still kind of protective, understandably so, of of Waylon and all that. But I mean, to me, Honky Tonky Hero is one of the greatest albums anyone ever made. And and uh, all those songs from Billy that he just had and couldn't get anyone to hear. uh, That's crazy, if that's true. Uh, I mean, you were around a lot of it. Obviously, I'm sure you have your own uh, your own taking it. What did it feel like when Waylon Jennings picked up a song of yours and sang it? Uh, Was it mind blowing to you or did you just kind of take it for granted?
1: It's mind blowing to me now, <sighs> at, at, that you mentioned it. At the time, I was a little bit competitive with with Waylon. Really? And, yeah, a little bit. I mean, and and, and also, you know, my ex father in law Johnny Cash. I I I was prickly enough around those guys that that you know they were older than me and they were cooler than me and they were they had more gravitas than me, but but i was looking to to impress upon them that i too am my own man sure and you know and, and sadly it got in the way sometimes but they they indulged it well in a,
0: you in and billy a little, joe you and billy joe shaver's have that in common then
1: um, yeah but billy joe was had more punch <laughs> sure, yeah i understood you were yeah, yeah. But would I was in.
0: you would drink you would drink the glass down billy joe would drink it and then throw it in their face so that's the difference probably yeah.
1: so but you know when whalen uh, it's an interesting story tell that, me. you know after you know after whalen you know I, uh, I think this was before, somewhere in there joe galante who ran rca records uh called me up and said i want you to produce whalen and he said and I and I want you to help me change Waylon's direction a little bit and Waylon and I were pretty good friends then we'd written songs together and and he you know he'd loved he had my a big daughter. hit
0: with one of your I mean he had a big hit with yeah, one and of your he,
1: songs. and he was he loved my my daughter because I was a single parent and he he, he loved her and he and he really respected me for being a single father and uh, but with this meeting uh both Waylon and I had been into substances that uh, enter the body through the nose yes and and I following bad direction from the record company executive put it up to Waylon I said hey Waylon you know we can make this record you know and and, and we can find a new rhythm section and we can we can really really bring you up to the moment Oh. And Waylon's squinted and look at me and he says, "Hoss, you can't write a good enough song for me to ever record again. Oh. And I, boy, it's like, I just, you just sighed and moved away. That's I exactly, that's, ex- that's exactly what I did. I just recoiled into this puddle of this amoebic puddle. And slunk out of there and then waited a few days and called him up and said, Wayland, I apologize from the bottom of my oh, you heart. You apologize. I apologize from the bottom of my heart. That was stupid of me. Please, please forgive me. And he says, "Ah, oh, it's okay, Haas. I know it was Joe talking through you. Oh,
0: that's great. <laughs> yeah, that's great. But that's, I mean, that's legendary. That is a legendary, legendary story uh yeah he's you know it's fun earlier when you were talking about the way those uh artists would set up in the rice fields with the stage you know i was picturing there's that great image of uh wayland playing bass with buddy holly on one of those like on one of those things where they're just on sort of like in a they're just sort of like on a makeshift stage somewhere um there's just a snippet of him playing bass in in one of those that was what i thought of was was that that image in Texas at that time and and just what you how you came up in in all this did you process so you talked you know you mentioned and it's also amazing you say Johnny cash your father I mean the other thing people should know is so John Leventhal is married to your ex-wife and it says something beautiful about the way you're who you share a child with right so
1: here's here's a good story about that I introduced John and Roseanne oh
0: i didn't
1: know that you did i brought john home i was producing a jim lauderdale record and i started listening to the demos and i said i said jim i said there's something going on inside this music that i can't put my finger on it and he says oh he said i wrote all these songs with john leventhal and i said oh so i was passing through new york and i rang him up and i said hey let's have a meeting and and i said look you've already done all this legwork on this album come and co-produce it with me oh that's great so he flew down to nashville and came to our house and introduced him and he already made the he'd already made
0: the sean colvin record by then
1: oh he had made the first one the uh avalanche right and he came home you know and came over for dinner and and uh and we were getting ready to work on make the album which we did. And, uh, you know, a little while later with, you know, with all due respect, you know, Roseanne let me know that she'd fallen in love with John and yes. And you know what, uh, all these many years later, it's like they're perfect together. You know, they, I mean, Roseanne and I were, were, I always say that that marriage was a real success and it really was it just ended because it was time for her to go be with john and it was time for for claudia to find me you know and and i'm with you know i'm with the woman who i'm the most myself with you know so it, it all worked out perfectly
0: that's a that's a huge thing to be with somebody who's the the, the most uh makes you the most like yourself all right let, let's let's there's so much to talk about, but let's wrap it up here. Uh, I was reading something you said about being calm about death. And, uh, and I guess I wonder, so the people you've seen in your life who are Pentecostal, in charismatic, Pentecostal religious organizations, have you ever seen any of them meet death calmly and with faith? As how,
1: like, does it? Here's a, here's... I have a way of answering that that I think is really interesting to me is that, you know, like my when my, my father is lying in his, at age 65, lying in his coffin and his sister, his Pentecostal sister, is sitting over there, you know, and, and I know what's about to happen. Oh, she gets up, oh, J.W., you can't go with me. She goes over and tries to call, crawl in oh, the yeah. coffin with him. And it's emotional exhibitionism. You know, and I get to go over there and wrap my arm around her and say, oh, Aunt Nadine, uh, he knows you miss him. And then take her back to her chair. She gives it about five minutes, and then she's up. No, J.W., you can't go without me. Tries to crawl back. And it's, it's show business, and it's emotional exhibitionism.
0: I beg of you, I beg of you to write the song He Knows You Miss Him about this please write that song man <laughs> that song about aunt Dean and he knows you miss him your song about that please write that song rodney all right i'm writing it down come on man he knows you miss him that's really great
1: knows that's you miss him.
0: great um hey folks go listen to triage uh and and go listen to close ties and houston kid and watch these documentaries uh, you know i i i uh right here the last last question have you brought yourself to be able to watch without getting killed or caught yet
1: or have you not been able to watch i've seen it i've read the book and i've seen it the only one that i haven't seen is uh heartworn highways i've never never seen
0: you can't bring yourself to look at yourself in that that young in that
1: whole. guy clark and i took a couple of small pills before that yes that created a movie inside my brain that i don't ever want to see again
0: (laughs) i understand that but it's so far from it's so far away from you i i understand it but you gotta you gotta take a look at it once because all your friends man all your friends in there right before the world right before you steve earl towns van Zant, guy clark um became you know change the world of, of music and it's this moment it catches this moment right before you got to see it because when towns
1: well, I, know I, around, see. I, I know about towns you know and and it, i should see it watching towns yeah.
0: play waiting around to die for that guy who i'm sure you must have known that guy watching him play that song for that dude yeah. but in the context of the film yeah. i think it has a lot to do with the album you just made that's why it might be worth Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey man, Rodney Crowell, thank you so much. People can find Rodney online. You're on Twitter, you're on Instagram, I think, right?
1: Well, you know, somebody in my organization does those things. I I wouldn't want to, you know, try to convince somebody else that it's me, but I do have a presence in those arenas.
0: A presence and, and you can, when touring happens again, you're going to go out, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. At the end of this month. Well, there you go. All right, everybody.
0: Great Rodney Crowell. Go listen to his records and go find him. And uh, Rodney, thanks for doing this, man. What a yes, great man. pleasure to talk to you.
1: Yeah, thanks for inviting me in. Stay well. I'll see you again.